Mystic Fix, a program for the whole being with Julia Gordon-Bramer on News Talk STL. Hey, 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 it's Julia Gordon-Bramer back with Mystic Fix. How do you feel about religion, ceremony, rituals, and initiations? That's what this episode of Mystic Fix is all about, in line with the Hierophant Tarot card. First, Deb Batia is in the studio with me. He's the founder of the Sikhs of St. Louis, and he's going to give us some idea of what that's all about, as well as some understanding of the Sikh religion. A little later in the program, we'll meet the author and mystic Guion Raven, who's completed three different schools of mystic initiation. And of course, we'll close out with tarot card readings for our callers. But first, Deb. You were born in Punjab, northern India, and you came to the USA in 2011, living first in New York City and then coming to St. Louis in 2018, right? Yes, that's true. Yeah, what what brought you to St. Louis? Work. Work, okay, and which you're in IT, right? I am in IT. Okay, so I know very little about the Sikh religion, but I've been reading it a little bit. Um, One thing, uh, first of all, I think many of us uh, could could relate in a way um, with the idea of one God, right? Absolutely. Um, and uh, and I was very impressed with uh, both your uh, personal and the religious devotion to community service. I learned seek means disciple or seeker or learner. <laughs> um, yes. can, can you give us an overview of, of, of what your faith is? Yeah, so the basic principle with a Sikh religion is, as you said, God is one. Mm-hmm. Serving the humanity and selfless service, simple and easy. No mm-hmm. judgment. Everyone is equal. Treat everyone equally, and whosoever is practicing their right, let them practice their right. In case of religion, in case of their personal life, so open Beautiful. to all, no judgment. And I, I also read uh, you don't put one religion over another either, right? You give people space there. That is that is true. That's in fact uh, the religion was formed. Uh, if I go back into the history in uh-huh. about 1300s, 1400s, that time uh, in the part of the Asia, there was a lot of convertism was happening, forceful convertism. That's when the Sikh warriors were coming into the picture. There's no law enforcement. There's no army at that time. So the only who was able to help was the warriors. At that mm-hmm. time, Sikh warriors would go help them, save the women from that, and then bring them back to their home. Mm-hmm. So the reason of the turban whenever you see a Sikh wearing a turban, is one is to always keep their hair as it is, was given by the God. Mm. So that's basically one identity a Sikh has been given. Right, there's no haircutting, correct? There's no haircutting okay. at all. And the second, back at that time and still today, when thousands of people are standing there and you see one Sikh standing in the middle with a turban, you need a help. You go ask him, he will never say no. And that's how it started back at that time. It was more like an identification that when you see a Sikh, he's a warrior. He's going to go protect you, protect your family. He's going to serve you and help you whatever you need. Uh, I'll tell you, um, before meeting you today, my only experience with a Sikh goes back to elementary school. And I grew up in Rockville, Maryland, Uh and there was a little boy who came into my grade. It was probably fourth or fifth grade, and he had a turban on. And... You know, it was the 1970s, and kids can be 
<laughs> kids. Yeah. And so it became a game that the boys would tear his turban off. Oh. And I felt so bad for him. But uh, the story has a silver lining because so it was revealed that he had waist long, beautiful black hair. Now, remember, this is the hippie generation of the 70s. So he instantly became the coolest kid in school. <laughs> um, but he did stop wearing his turban. And, and I always felt bad about that. It, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't a safe place. You know, it, today they would probably be more respectful, I would hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that, so that was the only thing I knew about Sikhs were the turbans. So that, of course, is only the Sikh men. Right. Um, do the women have any kind of identifying? The, yes. Uh, women, they are not. So everyone in the religion who practice religion, you're not supposed to cut your hair. And then, <clears throat> then comes into the Sikh baptism. Using the word baptism, there is a word in uh, Sikh uh, religion is called Amrit Chakna. So when you get baptized, you have to, the women are also supposed to wear a turban. So there is a round turban, it's called Dharmala, and um, the women also wear that. And you wear, you put on a sword. It's a very small, tiny sword, mm -hmm. and you keep that with you, which basically um, symbolizes the protection of the community. So, mm -hmm. And there are more, the Kata which is, I'm waiting right now. That, okay. That symbolizes God is one. Oh, so nice. if you ever see someone wearing that, uh, that's definitely. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so um, swords probably don't work out too well in uh, metal detectors, huh? Yes, <laughs> um, probably leave them home when you're on a plane. <laughs> yes. My father travels every year from India. So what you have to do is you have to check it into your bag. Um, so. It was basically, it took a long time to bring this into the law to make everyone understand. Eventually, when it was, everyone was aware about the boundaries of the religion, so they were allowed afterwards that you can go ahead and start keeping it into your check-in bag. So he's allowed. He keeps it in his check-in bag. When he arrives here, when he brings his bags out, he just put it, put it back on. Okay. So what else did I read about you? I, I know um, you're probably vegetarian, correct? I'm not. You're not? I'm not. Okay, okay. So I so there's eating. there's a little bit of freedom in, yes. in the religion. Yes, uh -huh. yes. The vegetarian comes into the uh, temple is because we want to honor everyone. We want to respect everyone's meal boundaries. Uh huh. So that's why the, every time you go to the Sikh temple, that's another thing. 24-7 Sikh temples are serving food. Uh, in Midwest, it's a little different because there's not many population. But if you go to the East Coast and West Coast in New York City, food was there every time. 24-7, you go there, Sixth Temple will be serving your food. And wow. uh, that's why to respect everyone's boundaries, vegetarian meal it is. Okay. And um, so you've had a little bit of press about feeding the community, especially during COVID. Yes, yes. Um, that was a great enlightening time for myself as well. Selfless service is a big part in the family. We have been serving that when we were a kid. My parents, my grandparents always used to tell us how serving the humanity is more important than anything else. I never realized that what's in it for me until mm -hmm. when I started. Uh -huh. I've been always talking about me, myself, my work routine, keeping myself right at the priority. But then it was a matter of the first time when I served a person on the street who was hungry from the last four days. During wow. the COVID time, there was no help out there on the street. That's when I realized that how happy I was. Wow. So achieving. you're not just serving the Indian community then. No, you're... it's open to all. So when we yeah. started, in fact, there was uh, one shelter uh, for 150 people. And when we started cooking meals, uh, we started helping them out. 
it was a matter of time when other shelters started calling us. There were like 12 shelters on the line again after that. And then it was, we were serving like thousand meals a day. And then <laughs> it eventually further went down to 1500 families in a day in a food drive. Wow. People would drive by and take the stuff. So that's really beautiful. Meals a day. So, so your organization seeks of St. Louis right. is a disaster relief and emergency response group that is true. Um, serving. Uh, you, it says currently serving in Missouri. So you go beyond St. Louis. We then. do. We were in fact nationwide when we started, we were uh, sending supplies to New York city. We did send it to Detroit, Michigan, wherever we wouldn't see there is a help. And if we have supplies and resources, let's go ahead and distribute them. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. And uh, you're you're also in the Civil Air Patrol. Yes, that is true. <laughs> that's a, that's a, what a well-rounded guy, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of my passions. We do um, emergency response. So we fly, we go ahead, um, yeah, do lots of emergency response missions. Yeah. Getting back to Sikhism, um, it kind of grew out of... Hinduism and Islamism, is that true? Or or is Buddhism a part of that? No, uh, we basically respect all the religions. Mm-hmm. Hinduism is more closer to us because in Punjab, Hindu is Hindu and Sikhs are the majority of the population. Mm-hmm. So Hindu religion is very close to Sikh religion, but Sikh religion just formed on its own. Okay. It's a total. Okay. Yeah, it's a fifth largest. And of course, the Hindu has the n- numerous gods. It seems to me that the the Sikh religion is very. You know, I have a Christian background, and and it seems to be traditionally Christian, and a lot of love your neighbor and right. and one God and yep. and you know our Ten Commandments and this sort of uh, mm-hmm. uh, being a. a decent person i mean it kind of comes down to that right that is true at the at the end every religion says just serve the humanity go good to your neighbors you know help Mm -hmm. each other and that's what everyone is trying to do yeah Yeah. so um meditation is also a part of your meditation is also a big part of the religion yes Uh in the in the previous times also it was a big part meditation just helps you to um calm your senses and just with a daily uh, work. What I used to do whenever I would go for the food drives or go out on any big projects, till today we were, we were doing those, I would always, before going out of my house, I will sit down like for five minutes, close my eyes, and just think about all the time and all the people we're going to serve, and then think and thank to God for helping us and giving us the opportunity to serve. It's really, truly about oneness. That is true. And something that also really appealed to me about your faith is um, God is genderless mm-hmm. and at the same time there's sort of a masculine representation but his power or its power considered feminine um i just think there's a, a lot of interesting uh perspectives yes there's a a very famous saying by the our guru gurunanadeji that from her millions are born oh uh-huh so yeah it goes all the way if you know what I learned today, what I'm doing today, it all goes, the credit goes to my mother. You know, She always took us for every holiday. It's not that you have to be participating in a sick holiday. We were actively participating on uh, Christmas, Christmas, mo- the evening mass. Uh, she will take us to the church. We would go to the mosque. We would go to the Hindu temples. Wow. So it was like we were born with those qualities and that discipline from uh-huh. the family and from the mother. The, the multiple aspects of humanity and, and perspectives. Yeah. Wow, that, that, is, that is lovely. Um, is there, uh, you, I, I think people 
people, you know, I say uh, Americans, mm-hmm. um, were not familiar with it. And um, uh, oftentimes people will see a man in a turban and they'll think Muslim. Yeah. And in this day and age, even terrorist, yes. you know. Yeah. Um, do, do you get a lot of flack that way? I mean, gosh, you know, I'm just talking to you and you're such a good hearted person <laughs> about helping the homeless and the hungry. No, and <laughs> no that's totally fine. Um, that's our another project. Uh, it's nationwide recognized. It's called Turban Day. We're in the Guinness World Record, though. Uh, I was part of the Six of New York, and uh-huh. then we opened up a chapter, chapter six of SDL. Then we have Indy, then we have Pennsylvania. When we started the chapter, the biggest reason was after 9-11, there were so many incidents, especially the Wisconsin Temple shooting, mm-hmm. the, just because people thought they're just Muslims. Oh. And if it's difficult for us to explain everyone that who we are, but it's not good to say that you are a Muslim. It's not good to tag a Muslim into that category too. It's a, yeah. just a one category of the group who is doing that. Right, of the course. Whole, the extremists. There yeah, you go. they're the problem yeah. in every religion. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So we took a route towards the, the turban day. I personally, when I was in the class, I have faced these issues. One incident when I just was studying in my class in New York City, I just uh, stepped out when I was about to go home. And then I suddenly heard the friends who used to study with me who were sitting right next to me, four of them, and they were like, did you saw that Osama bin Laden going home? And it felt so bad. And I was like, uh, I'm your friend. I, uh, I study with you. You know about me. Yeah. But but at the end, is it like, should I be getting angry about it? Why are you saying that to me? It's a lack of education. It's ignorance, it's truly. Ignorance. My job should be bringing that education with the entertainment so that people can learn. And that's when we came up with the concept called Turban Day. What we go and do is tie turbans, simple and easy. Uh-huh. You want to know what's underneath my turban? It's like, here, I can tie it on you too. Uh-huh. We started doing that in New York. We're doing this in St. Louis. Um, we do with Susan G. Komen, St. Jude, every year. Uh-huh. We basically go tie turbans to the cancer survivors to honor them. Oh, how wonderful. This is yeah. the most And you have a big event coming up in April, right? We have on April 15th. Okay. Yes, okay. that is the uh, Vesaki. We are, uh, we requested the government to give us a Seek Awareness Month proclamation for the month of April. And we're going to celebrate. We're going on April 18 in the capital. First time in the Midwest, the Visaki Festival is going to be celebrated. That's the birth of the sacred religion. Okay. And, yeah. and, and uh, Deb, how can people reach you if, if they wanted to learn more? The best thing is uh, Facebook. We are very active on social media, Facebook and Instagram. I still, uh, we still give out the food every Sunday outside uh, our house. It's no questions asked. Anyone can come in and get it. It runs from 10 to 1030. You take whatever you need. So Facebook, Instagram is the okay. best way to And just look up Seeks of STL. Seeks of STL. And that's S-I-K-H. Okay. S-I-K-H-S, yes. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your time. It has really been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting You bet. Still ahead, you may have heard the term in occult circles, in folklore and mythology, or the alchemical writings of Carl Jung. What is the process of initiation? You're about to find out. Next, on News Talk STL 1019 and 941. You're listening to Mystic Fix on News Talk STL.
I am now talking with Guion Raven, who is a tattooed pagan, a writer, traveler, musician, cook, kitchen witch, a cult shop owner, and teacher. You got quite a resume there, Guion. Yeah, one <laughs> or two things keep me busy, that's for sure. <laughs> I'll say. Um, so you you write that you have been initiated into three different magical traditions. Uh, I wanted to talk about that because first of all, some of my listeners might not know even what a magical tradition is, much less what being initiated is. So can, can you give us the basics on that? Yeah, so think about it. If you're more familiar with, let's say, um, a Christian tradition, for instance, uh -huh. at some point you may choose to become baptized or part of your growing up process is to become christened or baptized. Similarly, when you reach another age, you might go through catechism or confirmation classes. You go through a, a period of study, for instance, where you learn more about the mysteries of the church, what it is to be a good community member, etc. right? Uh-huh. So within magical traditions, it's much the same. So um, magical traditions are often referred to as initiatory traditions. Not every uh, magical tradition is an initiatory system, but many of them are. And uh, again, it's really, it's a journey, as any initiation is, through some unknown, mysterious territories, often of your inner landscape, uh, of your for how you relate to the world and your place in it, and maybe how you relate to a religious or magical tradition and whatever comes afterwards. So that's what an initiatory tradition is. It's this journey that one goes through, one accepts. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not usually foisted upon you. You know, you accept it yourself. You go through the journey. Uh, and at the end of it, perhaps some mysteries are revealed. Uh, we learn something about, if not the traditions that we're practicing, certainly a lot about ourselves. Okay, and I've so, been fortunate to go through several traditions. Wonderful. Uh, so when you talk about this journey, you're talking about like Joseph Campbell with the hero's journey, uh, the fool's journey. And we've heard uh, doc, uh, Dr. Carl Jung did a lot on, on that. And, and even the tarot reflects that journey, uh, especially with the major arcana cards. So um, a, a couple of different points. I could go so many different directions with this. First of all, you spell magical with a K, C-K. And, uh, and as, as a lot of people in these traditions do, could you explain why? Yeah, there's kind of a, an interesting past to that, but the short version is it was a way of delineating between sleight of hand magic, you know, mm -hmm. David Copperfield kind of magic and the serious practice of the magical arts. So a K was added. Uh, it's accredited to one person in particular, a particularly notorious character in, in pagan or Western esoteric tradition by the name of Alistair Crowley. Oh, yes. um, but it, it really predates him back in the Elizabethan era. Um, so the, you know, the 1500s, um, there wasn't kind of universality of spelling and magic was often spelled with a K or even a K-E at the end of it. So it's a hearkening back, a differentiation from um, sleight of hand magic and illusion yeah. and, uh, and the magical practices. Okay. And just those weird old spellings <laughs> that had yeah. a lot of give and take. Yeah. That's um, right. 
you, you mentioned Aleister Crowley, who who people are so afraid of. And, you know, of course, he when he died, the London Times called him the wickedest man alive or, or, or not not alive anymore, but the wickedest man in, in any case. Um, I always said that Crowley got a really bad rap and that essentially he was given that wicked title in Victorian England. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to understand the context of the times because he rejected traditional church. He used drugs and he was pretty free sexually. And uh, so basically he was a rock star. <laughs> right. In today's world, he was a rock star. Now he yeah. was, you know, he, he was problematic. He did have some uh, politely, let's put it, foibles. But uh, you're right. He was somebody who challenged the institution, which is funny yeah. because, you know, we are talking about the Hierophant card, which is all about institution exactly. and church and authority. And that was exactly what he did. He challenged that for good or for bad sometimes, but he absolutely challenged it. Yes, yes. So um, so these these paths of initiation, these these magical traditions that mm -hmm. you have taken on, um, is do you consider that faith is required or are these just practices or, or rituals you adhere to or, or all of it? Yeah, so a lot of that will depend on the individual. Um, it's often said in in Western esotericism or in, in magical traditions that we don't actually require belief um, that in many cases or faith, in many cases, it is a um, orthopraxic rather than orthodoxy, right? So it's about the doing, the practices in the doing of the work as opposed to the belief in the work. Not so different from Buddhism or Taoism or, or even some Jews. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So for many years, I've mentioned that I'm I'm initiated into three magical traditions, and that's true. Um, but earlier on in my life, I, it's funny you mentioned Buddhism. I studied with a, a Tibetan Rinpoche for many, many, many years and underwent an initiation through that system as well. And that really was all about living in the moment and the practices that you do each and every day, each and every moment. There's a tremendous amount of crossover between those practices and, and what I found in the magical practices that I'm part of today. I'd be very curious to know about these traditions that you're initiated in. I've got the names of them, the, the Avalon Druid Order, mm -hmm. Reclaiming, and Gardnerian Wicca. Mm -hmm. I've, heard of, I've heard of Wicca, of course, or the Wiccans. Yeah. Um, but uh, can you tell us a little bit about what those are? Yeah, so in very, very broad terms, the, um, the ADO, the Avalon Druid Order, um, Druids have a particular view of the world. In that, that particular tradition, they studied a lot of the remaining lore, if you will, uh, uh, folk tales and myths that were around Britain, pre-Roman Britain, as much as we have. You know, some of the myths that we have there are encoded in songs or poems. Uh, some of them were written down by conquerors, you know, the Romans, for instance, later and on. slightly were, biased, perhaps. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they don't always yeah. paint a great picture. But essentially, if you if you were to make a really broad statement, I would say that Druids were very interested in sort of, oh, how would I say this? Um, walking through the world, being part of the natural landscape. Um, this is a very, very generalization, but if you think of something like Lord of the Rings and you think of somebody like Gandalf, 
um, that would be um, kind of proto-Druid look, if you will. They were often counselors. They were uh, court physicians. The Druids were learned people of their time. Uh, they were sort of professors, if you will, of their time. And they went around to different chiefs and tribes and kingdoms and applied their wares. So from my perspective, this was about going back and looking at some of the earliest roots, pre-Roman practices, again, as much as we can understand them, and really submersing myself in, in my case, specifically uh, Arthurian and Welsh mythology. That's where I'm from. And uh, I'm from Britain. So yeah. Oh, my, uh, my mother is from South Wales. Oh, so lovely. New, Newport. Oh, yes. absolutely lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I was in England, oh, maybe four or five years ago uh, at Stonehenge mm -hmm. on summer solstice. And they were gathering people from regionally who were in the robes, mm -hmm. who were going to have like a special privileged access that, that we common tourists couldn't have. And yeah. so those were Druids, correct? Most likely, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. There, there's, yeah. There's certainly some uh, Druid work that happens there. Yeah, so that that's kind of the short version of Druids. And I'm sure if you had a Druid on, they'd give you a very different answer. But that's kind of sort of the, the short version. For me, again, it was really about reconnecting to uh, as ancient a lore as we have um, and studying it. Uh, and then putting it into practice. Now, the second tradition that you mentioned is reclaiming. And that's probably the closest thing to my spiritual home, if you will. I've been part of reclaiming for more than 20 years now. And uh, reclaiming really has its roots in the 1970s and early 80s activism movement. So uh, very much feminist, very much earth-based, uh, very politically active uh, in the 80s and 90s. A lot of their focus magically was on working with communities that were afflicted by AIDS, um, there, we are a very progressive tradition um, as far as who is welcomed in. That was one of the hardest initiations that I ever went through. Uh, for me, it was more than a three-year process. Oh. Um, yeah, and um, the and, actual... And why? Why, why was it so hard? Oh, you know, partly because I came in with expectations about what it was going to be and who I was going to be when I got done with it, right? And the... The unfolding of that flower of initiation took me in so many different directions. That initiation prepared me for, how would I say, probably like priesthood, if you will, um, mm -hmm. like being a, a magical steward of that tradition, challenged some of my preconceived ideas about what magic is and where the intersection of magic and politics lies, really prepared me to be uh, an excellent ritualist. And then more than anything, again, just challenged some of my foundational beliefs as who I am in the world and what I deserve and you know what baggage of mine can I put down and what belongs to other people that I don't have to carry around. So it was really sort of stripping away, as a lot of initiations do, stripping away the ego, my identity, seeing what was left and then reconfiguring myself. Uh, so it was very much like sort of rewiring my DNA. It's the classic sort of, you know, I started off as a caterpillar and turned into a bunch of goop in a cocoon and then came out the other end as a butterfly. You're making me think for some reason of a friend of mine who of all things became a hospital chaplain. Mm. And the process of 
you know, psychology that she had to go for, a, a, a kind of breaking down of her own character and, and addressing grief and, and oh, all yeah. of these things. So is, is that what I'm getting from you, that, that it gets very deep emotionally and, yeah. and psychologically? Very much so. Uh, in fact, one of the key pieces that I picked up as a practice, believe it or not, was uh, finding uh, a therapist. Uh, during that time, not because I had any particular issue that I was working on, although, you know, once you start therapy, you find all kinds of things. Uh, <laughs> but the idea that I had a place to go outside of the magical tradition, a place where I could safely um, and professionally examine what was going on, again, for me, both personally, professionally, spiritually, in a container, one of the biggest things I'll recommend to anybody going under any kind of initiatory practice is have a therapist or a, a spiritual advisor that's not necessarily related to the process you're going through. Yeah, but I, I think you do have to be careful in who you choose because some people aren't open-minded enough or I, I was lucky enough also to have who I called her a spiritual counselor when I was mm -hmm. going through a hard time. And, and yeah, if I started talking to her about premonitions or reg even regular meditation, uh, if she had been, I don't know, you know, the therapist around the corner that I, I'm sure she might've been writing me a prescription yes. <laughs> or, or sending me off to the funny farm or something. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, so tell us about the last um, one, the Gardnerian Wicca. Uh, how is that different again? Wicca was really started in the 1950s, near enough. Some folks will say it began in the late 1930s, but really it's kind of codified in the early 1950s with the repeal of the Witchcraft Act in, in England. The man most notably known for founding it is Gerald Gardner, which is why it's called Gardnerian Wicca. There are many, many offshoots of that through the 60s and 70s, 80s, 90s. There are, there are all kinds of different offshoots of that that sort of collectively have become known as Wicca. Um, if you've ever bumped into anybody that identifies as a witch, many, not all, will identify as a Wiccan. And in the 90s and early 2000s, you know, you'd see television programs like Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, or Charmed, and they would often have a Wiccan on the show, right? So yeah. that that's how most people know that word. The difference between, say, a Gardnerian Wicca or British traditional Wicca and, say, Reclaiming, is it's very much coven-based. It's really meant to be practiced kind of around the kitchen table with a close group of people that come together. Um, unlike reclaiming, it's much more hierarchical. So you've got terms like high priest and high priestess, and there's a level of authority in there. And there are degrees as you go through the Gardnerian system. You start off as a first degree, maybe become a second, maybe even become a third. And with each one of those, there are more responsibilities and rights and permissions and things like that. Again, why I decided to seek initiation in that particular tradition was, again, it felt like if reclaiming was my public tradition, uh, Gardnerian Wicca was my private tradition. It was my family tradition. And it offers different ways to connect into, you can call it egregore, you can call it magical vibration, you can call it current, whatever that cosmic, ineffable 
stream is. Yes. The Gardnerian system offers a different way in and say the reclaiming tradition or the Buddhist traditions or the Druid traditions. And that's what I find fascinating about it. So do you find that these traditions, are you um, looking uh, for power to kind of manipulate the world with, with spells or magic, or is this more of a personal growth kind of thing or a little of both? Yeah, so again, really depends on who you speak with, right? Um, yeah. uh, my partner, an incredible uh, witch and priestess in her own right, uh, fantastic author as well, puts me to shame. She's incredible. She got started in magic when she was 15 years old and got dumped by her first boyfriend. And she thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to cast some <laughs> bad juju his way for breaking my heart, right? So some people come into that, and I absolutely... Uh, use spell work today. Now, do I do it to manipulate? That's an interesting word. I like to say I do it to, to become aligned with or be in accord with and being in accord with nature, for instance, or again, that flow of energy. So you've probably seen thousands of books or blogs or articles or videos about manifestation work. People saying, you know, if I call out to the universe and I say, I want this thing, the universe will give me that thing, right? You know, there's, there's a lot to that. Uh, we can talk about on another episode, but if you think about spells as practice, if I'm focusing on a piece of spell work, which often includes something that might look like prayer, or meditation. I might have some sacred objects. I might have tarot cards, for instance, that I'm working with, and I've put them together on an altar or some uh, working area that I'm interacting with. Really what that helps me do is focus my attention on my intention. So what is it that I'm trying to bring about? What is it that I want to expand, grow, manifest, cut off, whatever it might be. In, in a it, way I think of an altar or mm -hmm. something. Yeah. Okay. That's entirely okay. it. That's exactly yeah. it. You know, when we pull a tarot card, if we're getting reading somewhere, often what we're doing is looking at that card for validation or looking at that card for direction, give us some advice, whether we should, you know, turn left or turn right, stay on the course we're on, run away screaming, you know, whatever it might be. <laughs> right. So yeah. Um, spell work for me is much the same. It's a way of pulling together like objects, like intentions, like energies, and using them to guide me on my way. So that's which, a lot of what spell known is. Sympathetic magic. That's right? exactly right. Sympathetic yeah, magic. Reflected. Like attracts yeah. like. Yeah. Well, well, gosh, I could talk to you all day, Guion, but unfortunately, we're at, we're out of time. I'm really excited that Llewellyn is giving us a giveaway book to uh, one lucky listener. Uh, your book, Live Ritualized. Uh, looking forward to to seeing that myself. Thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure. And, uh, and I hope to, we'll have you on again. Sounds fantastic. I'd love to chat with you anytime. You're listening to Mystic Fix with Julia Gordon-Bramer on News Talk STL. I'm Julia Gordon-Bramer, and this is Mystic Fix on 1019 and 941 News Talk STL. Our spiritual journey tonight will begin. Can't outrun your fate. Let me tell you about you. I know who you are, what you are, and why you've come. Take a good look at these cards, young man. They contain all the secrets of the universe. What does it say? 
And we're back with Mystic Fix. It's time for the tarot card readings for our lucky callers. I've got Amy on the line. How you doing, Amy? I'm doing great. What's your question, please? Uh, my question is, I am working on a fairly large creative project. It's basically a novel that I've been working on for a long time. I think I'm coming down the home stretch. Great. But then, you know, the horrible thing of now I have a really new idea that's kind of that bright, shiny thing. <laughs> it kind of won't leave me alone. Uh-huh. And I have finite time to work on a project. And I'm just, I'm not sure if this I should be even letting myself think about the new project or, you know, I just need some advice as to what kind of approach to take. Okay. Okay. Let me uh, tune into you here and see what the cards say. Okay, so I'll just kind of cut to the point. Follow the inspiration. Uh, So Page of Cups is in reverse, which is just saying you're not really feeling it right now as far as the novel. And and I think with with that inspiration, I, I, I think you probably need a little time off of the novel and that bright, shiny thing, <laughs> that new project, okay. that that's where your energy is. And that's what is um, got the magician here. Uh, the magician is, of course, all about magic. The magician has all the tools on his table to do incredible things. The novel is not lost, okay? To, okay. to jump ahead to the top card you've got, you've got the Eight of Cups in reverse, which is telling me you are going to return to it. It's about going back into the past. So uh, even this year, you will be returning to the novel. But get these ideas down for the new thing. Uh, you've got the Nine of Wands straight up, which is just telling me uh, these are good ideas. Uh, you're at a highly creative time right now. Wands are all about enthusiasm and creative energy. So... Get them down. You will go back and finish the novel. I have no doubt about that. You've got the hanged man in reverse, which is interesting because I see you kind of punishing yourself, like you're feeling guilty about, you know, or or ashamed uh, about this. Um, Let that go. Uh, You are in the right place at the right time. When you get this burst of creative energy, I want you to think of that as really a gift from God or source or however you want to phrase it and, and catch it lightning in a bottle <laughs> and so so your your following card is the ten of swords in reverse which is once again just saying you're too hard on yourself you have this sort of old school punishment on you know, I've, I have to finish what I start before starting another thing finish what you start sure eventually but there really isn't a rule on to before you start something else. I, I, at least I haven't heard of that rule. <laughs> um, okay. Your your last card is the Two of Swords, which is about balance, and it's also two things. You know, it, it's two even swords, and you're holding them both, and you're balancing them both. So this time next year, I feel very good about both your projects which to me have equal importance. So don't shut one down with a lot of rules because I think uh, both are great and w- both will do well. All right. Okay. That's very encouraging. And yes, you're not wrong about me feeling guilty. So <laughs> I'll, I'll take that to heart. <laughs> Terrific. Great hearing from you. And uh, have, a, have a great evening. Hello, Julia from Mystic Fix. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing That's a well. Great title, uh, word by <laughs> Mystic Fix. I like that. Why? Thank you. Oh, do so, you have a question for us today? Uh, 
I had a traumatic event in my past mm-hmm. and for a long time, decades, I just thought it was a tiny thing. I put it aside. I never really thought about it much. And a time came, I was in a conversation and someone mentioned something and I, and I, and I just happened to mention this event and they said, Oh my God, that's a, that's a serious, well, no wonder you have all these, you know, phobias about blah, blah, blah. And suddenly I realized that, you know, looking at it, uh, this, this happened to me when I was 17 and, uh-huh. and you know, looking back on it from an adult's perspective, I thought, Oh my God, if I, if someone told me that that happened to them or someone they knew, I'd say, Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. How, how'd they deal with that? Mm-hmm. So apparently what I did was I suppressed it and, uh, and then went on. And one day that revelation just popped and it bothers me Certain things that were bothering me in my life, now I can understand maybe that it's related to that. And I'm trying to explore that memory and try trying to, you know, to see it, for, it confront it. I mean, in a sort of Jungian way, sort of, uh, you know, trying to do my own personal shadow work with it or something to get uh-huh. into it and confront that fear uh-huh. and just put it aside. Okay. Or, or, or get it to a place where I can snap my fingers and it, it's not bothering me. Yeah. So, so you just want me to look at this event and, and get an understanding for you? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. So you do show that you're clearly still processing a lot of pain right now over this. You know, your first card is the sun in reverse. And a lot of times you think of the sun as a spotlight, but in reverse, which means upside down as it faces me, you have not yeah. wanted to put light on this. You know, you, you've been suppressing that. You've been blocking the light like, eh, I don't want to think about that. Let's let's move on. Uh, and, and, and it can also be um, because the sun is a happiness card straight up. In reverse, it can be sort of a false happiness, too. So I do see that you've sort of been living, uh, you know, a, a bit of a false life, not wanting to address this. Uh, your next card is the four of swords in reverse, which is honestly some serious depression. Uh, it, it does look like you're in that now or you're, or you're fully feeling it now. And what I can tell you about this is that... The tarot is rooted in Kabbalah. Kabbalah teaches that um, it, we have to feel to heal. You know, um, if, if we bury it, if we stuff it down, it ends up simmering and, and growing and taking us over. And, and the way that our pain takes us over is usually in depression, addiction, panic, and anxiety what I tend to call the American cocktail, because we often do mixes of that. <laughs> so, yeah. so I am seeing the depression element on you. And, uh, and I do like to say, Dennis, that depression doesn't mean you're crying all the time. The word is, is to press down. It's a flattening. Nothing really feels great. Nothing, nothing feels all that happy or interesting sometimes. Oh, I know depression. Yeah, yeah. I so, know depression. So I am seeing you with the Seven of Wands. You are actively working on this now, and so good for you. Uh, you weren't ready before. You know, uh, don't punish yourself for the times that you were blocking it because you weren't able to handle it then. Kind of like when people have memories that are repressed and they come up and the brain will bring them up when the person is ready, when you're at a stage of, of emotional development or healing. So 
Your top card is the star in reverse. And I am seeing you, um, you know, it's kind of a melancholy, kind of a, well, it happened. And there, you know, there can be a feeling of hopelessness, like like some lost hopes, some lost dreams. Whatever this event was for you, obviously the past isn't going to be changed. That cannot be healed. But... I am also seeing you with the four of cups in reverse saying it seems you've had a a people pleasing kind of nature before this. And it looks like you're looking at that and maybe having some more boundaries. Uh, There's queen of swords in reverse, which tells me you will be feeling some anger about this issue. And that's a normal pattern for you to in part of your healing. And then this time next year, I have the five of swords, which is a great card, Dennis, because it says... Uh, you've you've beat this. You've got it. It is not controlling you any longer. So it may be a full year of processing this, but now that it's come to your consciousness, I see you're actively doing the work and good for you. Super. Okay. Well, that sounds nice. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds decent. Well, great. Uh, I'm glad that, that it could help and, uh, and great talking to you. Before we go... I want to thank our sponsor, Flight, at the Chosen Retreat Center in Sebastian, Florida. Redefining the dance between the masculine and the feminine. Visit Flight. that's K-A-M-A-F-L-I-G-H-T, on Instagram for videos, links, and more information. Well, that's another episode of Mystic Fix. If you enjoyed this, please like and subscribe to the podcast or videocast. Subscriptions are the way we get found in searches, and it really helps. You're listening to Mystic Fix on 1019 and 941 News Talk STL. Until next time. <laughs>